are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So to begin our sermon series on money, I thought it would be appropriate to turn to the wisdom of Calvin. Not John the Reformer, but this guy. (laughs) Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes. One of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes cartoons from many years ago has Calvin's father standing at the doorway with a stack of papers. uh, Calvin's mom says, any good mail today? Not really, says the father. You got a You're Not Attractive Enough women's magazine with an article on swimsuits that minimize all your body flaws. Here are some You're Not Stylish or Ostentatious Enough catalogs. And coincidentally, here's an invitation to go deeper in debt from a credit card company. And here's our news magazine to identify the trend of the week that we're missing. And I got a hobby magazine featuring new equipment I ought to have. Yikes, says Calvin's dad. He scratches his head and asks, why do I get the feeling that society is trying to make us discontented with everything we do and insecure about who we are? Calvin's mother, who's often the quiet one in this comic strip, she says, I suppose if people thought about real issues and needs instead of manufactured desires, the economy would collapse and there would be total anarchy. So it's our patriotic duty to buy distractions from a simple life. Just then, Calvin comes running into the room, sees his parents and says, hey mom, I just saw a bunch of products on TV that I didn't know existed, but I desperately have to have. (laughs) Calvin makes us chuckle, but he speaks the truth. There are a whole lot of interrelated problems concerns about money and possessions in our culture today. I want to mention just a few of them. Millions of people in our very affluent country are buried in debt. Debt with credit cards and mortgages and student loans and more. The statistics are disturbing. The human cost is real for those who are in that situation. At a former church, Long time ago, wonderful congregation, just like Covenant, but not Covenant. One Sunday, I shared a lot of statistics about debt and the number of people who had thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. Um, you know, one guy talked about how in his 30s, he was still paying for the pizza that he used his credit card for when he was 18, that sort of thing. After worship, one prominent member of the church came up to me and said a little bit dismissively, they didn't think that was a problem in the congregation. Well, a few days later, one of the elders in that congregation, an elder who was heavily involved in the finances of that congregation, an elder who was a community leader, one of these people who's larger than life and bubbly, always has a kind word, always has something nice to say, really involved in his kids, involved in church leadership. He makes an appointment, comes into my office, and starts crying and telling me that he and his family are buried in credit card debt and he can't make a pledge to the church, and there's all sorts of stuff that he can't do. He said he was embarrassed, he said he was ashamed, 
And you could see visibly it was just, it was strangling him. Most people would have been shocked to know that about this person, right? People's financial situation is often not what it seems to be. Another problem with money is relationship stress. Money issues put a lot of stress on marriages. Behind adultery, money is the second most important reason for divorces. I knew another couple, long time ago, different place, different state. They got divorced after an argument over what kind of car to buy. They had very different ideas about spending and saving, and one wanted to get the practical car, one wanted to get the super fancy luxury car, and this was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Obviously, there were other issues leading up to that, but that was the, that was the dividing point. And money problems aren't just with marriages, too. Families, sometimes in times of what you might think would be abundance with um, estates and inheritances and things like that, they start squabbling and fighting, and it gets kind of ugly. Some of you have been in those situations. Some of you might be in those situations as we speak. Now, some of you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I... You know, fortunately, I don't deal with debt, and fortunately, we don't have big fights about money. But there's another problem that maybe impacts some of us here today. Some people find themselves in large homes filled with lots of stuff, sometimes more stuff than we know what to do with, stuff that we thought would bring us lots of happiness, and it probably did bring some level of happiness, maybe not as much as it did, so the stuff accumulates. Some of us end up getting storage units to keep the stuff because there's so much stuff and we're not sure what to do with it, and some of us are learning that our children and our grandchildren don't want the stuff that we thought they might like, so we're swimming in so much stuff we don't know what to do with it, right? Because of these and other problems related to money and possessions and stuff, it's important to talk about these things. Earlier this year, we had a six-week sermon series called Let's Talk About Sex, predicated on the assumption that sex and sexual identity, sexual orientation, gender um, identity, all those things are really important, and they're things that we tend to not talk about. Well, the same is true with money. We know it's important, but, well, don't talk about money. We can't talk about it. Well, we're going to talk about it. At least I'm going to talk about it. You can listen, and I hope you'll talk about it. That's part of the idea, that I'm stirring the pot here for conversations. And just to be clear up front, a couple of things up front. I'm not here to say that money's bad and we should get rid of it all and rich people, you know, whatever. It's not that at all. It's not saying we can't go on vacations or go to nice restaurants or do nice things. Jesus came. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus came that we might have life and have it in all its fullness, have abundant life. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're meant to enjoy this life, but we have to do it wisely and well. So we need to talk about our money and how we're going to spend it and what we're going to get and what we're not going to get. Another sort of caveat as we launch into this series, it's really tempting when we start thinking about money and possessions and thinking about who might have too much stuff or who might drive a fancy car to start looking at the people around us and pointing fingers and, well, let's not do that. Let's just think about ourselves, right? The, um, the series here is um, partly inspired by this book called Enough, 
subtitled Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity by a pastor named Adam Hamilton. And early in that book, he shares a story about um, cautioning us about being judgmental. He tells about a time when a pastor invited a missionary to speak at the church about social justice and ministry with the poor. Um, Hamilton writes, as the pastor and missionary were pulling into the parking lot, a man driving a brand new top-of-the-line Lexus drove in beside them. The missionary said, now that's what I'm talking about right there, people driving cars like that. The pastor replied, I know this guy. He makes a million dollars a year. He gives $700,000 a year away to support the local mission in our city for poor people. He's humble and caring, so don't criticize him. Would to God that you and I gave away as much of what we have as he does. I like that story because it reminds us that it's important to not judge one another, and it makes the pastor look like the good guy in the situation. So. <laughs> But the first reason is more important for why I like that story. We need to be careful. Let's, let's think about ourselves, right? In our small groups this month, we've been sharing money stories. I've encouraged people to talk about their money history, like what they grew up with, what sort of assumptions they grew up with, what sort of lifestyles they grew up with, our first jobs, our first savings account early mistakes we might have made with money. We all have a story. Some of us grew up in very affluent families. Some of us grew up in very poor families. Some of, most of us somewhere, somewhere in between. Some of us grew up with people who had great examples, parents and other people who set great examples for us of wise use of money. Some of us grew up in situations where money was not used well, and we, you know, all sorts of challenges there. In premarital counseling, I always ask couples to share their money story, to, to share with each other. They, they usually have talked about it some, but sometimes they haven't, and see what sort of assumptions they're coming into the relationship with. I'm grateful for my parents who instilled in me and my brothers a sense of frugality um, and generosity and all sorts of things, um, teaching us the importance of saving and not spending everything. Now, as a kid, I hated it when I would ask if we can get that game or get that toy or get that candy bar, and it was no, no, no. But in retrospect, I'm grateful that I learned some restraint and I didn't have parents who tried to love me by giving me everything, right? So that's the way it goes. Shortly after I was ordained as a pastor, I was encouraged to um, meet with a financial advisor, another stage on my money story. So I made an appointment. I expected to hear a lot about IRAs and retirement issues and stock market 101, that sort of thing. Um, but instead, the financial advisor, it was like a therapy session. It was like a counselor. He asked me all sorts of deep and probing questions. What do you want from life, Charlie? Where are you going? What are your priorities? Are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? Do you want to drive a big fancy car? Do you want to drive a little beater car? Do you want to give a lot to charity? Do you want to have a big yacht? You know, what, what are your goals? What's, what's your purpose? I was really grateful for that session in retrospect, shaping, helping me figure out who I was and where I was going. Because the, the kind of life we want to leave, the choices we make, it shapes how we use our money, right? The plans we make or the plans we don't make impact what happens with our money. To avoid the problems of excessive debt and overindulgence and having too much stuff, we need to be intentional and deliberate. We need to plan. We need to talk. We need to pray. 
In a world where we get inundated with messages about how to spend our money, advertising is everywhere, and advertising is not bad, but it's everywhere. And we're constantly being told, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, constantly. We need to be reminded that there's alternatives to that. Scripture provides a lot of alternatives in the spirit of thinking about simplicity and generosity and contentment. A few examples from Scripture. Hebrews 13, we read, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Proverbs 30, we read, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food I need. What a fascinating prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. In Luke chapter 12, we read about a family dispute over money. I always just looked at the the final verse of this, but it's really set in the context of of a family dispute. Someone said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said, friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So a lot of these readings are about being careful and being smart and being alert and awake and being intentional about how we deal with our money. The gospel reading that I'm going to share in just a minute reminds us that we have choices and that money can be a false god. It encourages us not to worry like Joe taught us in the, in the children's message for today. The words come from the Sermon on the Mount, that collection of teachings of Jesus right in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the, the reading is um, right in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount. Listen now for God's word. No one can serve two masters, For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. I went to the bookstore the other day and looked for the personal finance section. Well, surprise, surprise, there were dozens of books there. I've read a couple of them over the years. I thumbed through a few more. I looked a little bit online. There's a lot of good encouragement, a lot of good advice out there. Um, And in a very rapid-fire nutshell, here's some common financial tips that I see in a lot of these places. You've probably heard these, too. 
Spend less than you make. Live below your means. Avoid debt. Pay off those credit cards as quick as you can. Save for big purchases and rainy days. I like this one. It doesn't come up everywhere, but choose your friends, your neighborhood, and your spouse wisely, right? Have a budget, a spending plan. Talk about your spending. All of these make good sense. I want to dig into one of them just a little bit, thinking about the idea of, of planning. Anybody ever hear of the 10-10-80 plan? A couple of heads nodding. Well, you, you're going to hear about it today. Let's pretend, um, you know, you've got a budget. I've got $100 here, and this is just one way of thinking about how to spend your money. In the spirit of thinking about after-tax income, some people suggest you have the 10-10-80 plan. That means $10 for charity, $10 for God's work. The Bible talks about tithing, and it's a healthy habit to develop a sense of generosity and charity to all sorts of agencies, people, individuals, including the church. So $10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And a lot of people say we should do that first, because if we don't, we'll forget about it or get squeezed out. Other priorities will sneak in. Second 10% for savings, for retirement in particular. We're living a lot longer than we used to. Social Security used to be for a few years. Now it's for multiple decades, right? We might need a little more. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Set that aside somehow, some way for long-term savings. Then you've got 80% of your after-tax income, and you can live on that. So let's break down the numbers a little bit more. Hypothetically, you got a $50,000 $50, of after-tax income. That means $5,000 goes for charity, $5,000 goes for savings, and $40,000 for living. There's a plan. There's a plan for it. Now, some people would actually say you should do the 10-10-10-70 plan and take another 10 out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And that 10 isn't for retirement savings, but for things like a car or a house or other big, long-term, medium-term kind of savings. You figure out what numbers work for you. You talk with your loved ones, and you plan yourselves accordingly. Having a plan like that, somehow like that, whatever numbers work for you, um, I think it's important to, to play with those numbers. The point is having a plan. And the point is carrying out the plan, right? Um, you know, how many of us have had plans for healthy eating or for exercise that have been good on paper or good in our minds, but we've had a hard time following through, right? It's human nature. It's understandable. Same thing with financial planning. We have good intentions. The challenge is making those plans, those strategies happen. So to do this, as Christians, we need to get our hearts in the right place. We need to have a firm foundation of faith. We need to keep Jesus' words in mind about seeking first God's kingdom, God's realm, God's love. We need to have our priorities straight and know what really matters. And we, we get a chance to do this every week in worship. For me, one of the most important parts of our worship is our prayer of confession. It's time when we get to be honest with God and 
acknowledge the ways that maybe we've had a plan for something or good intentions about something and haven't followed through, be it money or whatever. We have the opportunity to ask God's forgiveness, and sometimes we use the word repent. Repent sounds like a, you know, you're getting your wrist slapped, you were bad. Well, that's not really the intent of the word. The word really means turning around, changing your mind or changing your direction, getting reoriented, getting back on track, if you will. So if we think honestly about our money situation, some of us might need to repent, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. Maybe we wasted a lot of money on something foolish this week. Maybe we wasted a lot of money over the course of our lives. Maybe we haven't made good choices. We have the opportunity every day, especially every Sunday, to come before God and reorient ourselves to change direction. When we baptize people, when we have people join the church, one of the vows that we make, membership vows, you know, do, we tur- do you turn from the ways of sin and evil and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Part of our lives as Christians involves choices. It's not just when we stand in front of the church with a cute baby or when we join the church and you know, get a little gift bag or whatever. It's really a, a daily option to be turning from the bad things and turning to the, the good things and, and finding what's really life-giving, finding what really matters. We need to keep making those decisions day after day, week after week. We have to know who we are and what really matters. In his book about money, Adam Hamilton writes, What's your life about? Why do you exist? Do you exist simply to consume as much as you can and get as much pleasure as you can while you're here on this earth? Or do you have a higher purpose? How do you understand your life purpose, your vision or mission or calling? And are you spending your money in ways that are consistent with this life purpose? Yeah, I'm doing all the talking now, but that's the sort of thing that we good to talk about with loved ones, family, friends. One person who's, I think, got a sense of their life purpose pretty clear is a man named Yvonne Schwinard, if I'm saying his name right. He was the founder of Patagonia outdoor clothing company about 50 years ago. This was in the news recently. I've seen Patagonia clothes in this congregation. They're good, good, sturdy clothes. Well, he's made billions of dollars over the years. A big company, very successful company. He recently made a decision essentially to give away the company, set up these complicated trust funds or whatever it is, so that the vast majority of his wealth is now going into agencies that will help protect the earth from the ravages of climate change. He realized that he had more than enough money, and he wanted to leave some sort of a legacy, some sort of an impact, some sort of a a lasting impact on the world. I don't know if he's a religious person or not, but he seems to be exhibiting that sense of seeking first God's kingdom or, or maybe the spirit of Genesis 12. He recognized he was blessed to be a blessing to other people. How are we blessed? How can we bless other people? Maybe this week, good questions to ask. I'm guessing some people, you might have a dollar or a coin in your pocket. Maybe you want to pull it out. I'm not going to ask you to put it in the offering plate or anything. But, you know, next time you look at a dollar or a coin, take a look at it. And somewhere on there, guess what they all say? In God we trust, 
right? It's almost like inviting us to prayerfully spend our money, prayerfully save our money. So this week, as you have the opportunity to do so, remember these words. Remember Jesus' words to seek first the kingdom of God. Let us pray.